self-confidence when somebody read one to six. wandering. These last 40 years, God had a purpose behind this, and the purpose was to humble them. He humbled them, He let them be hungry, and He fed them with manna. Now, manna was not something that uh, they developed in the laboratory. It was not some kind of a seed that they'd come up with the hybrid and, you know, worked in the wilderness. It was nothing like that. God just gave manna, just Laid it out, out on the ground every night. But then pick up the next morning. And uh, all of that was humbling. It made them understand that man does not live just by bread, but by what God says. It taught them that they had to trust God, not trust themselves. You think about how that manna operated, too. It's a pretty interesting system. They'd go out and gather it every morning. It's kind of like frost. And they'd gather enough to eat for the day. And uh, then they'd go out the next morning and they'd gather it. And uh, what would happen if they tried to keep the leftovers over for the next day and eat off of them? Yeah, it's, it's spoiled. Couldn't do that. You had to eat it that day. Except for one time. When was that? Yeah. You had to keep it over from the sixth day to the seventh day because there wasn't any manna out there on the seventh day. And you were to eat the leftovers from the sixth day. God gave you more on the sixth to supply the seventh also, the Sabbath, where they were supposed to rest. Now, tell me that it makes sense from a scientific standpoint. You know, how does the manna know it's supposed to rot on all the other days, but not on the sixth over the seventh? I mean, there's not some kind of a formula that does that. That's the Lord. He arranged for it to be that way. It wasn't something that they designed, that they figured out, that they created. They depend on God. And God gave the man a certain properties that really showed them, this isn't you. If you can count to seven, you can do this right. You know, that's all it took. And, and he wanted them to recognize their dependence on God. Because they're going to come into the land, and it's going to be easy to forget that they depend on God. He said, you're close. 
You ever thought about that? I mean, that's kind of a problem. You wear the same clothes for 40 years. Uh, you work too well. Uh, you've got to have a new pair once in a while. Uh, not nearly as often as uh, Sandra thinks, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think 20 years on work. You know? Amen. <laughs> Didn't wear out on him. 40 years in the wilderness, the same clothes. It was all good. Now, how did that happen? That was the Lord. You know, when, when God took away their ability to provide for themselves, He taught them that they had to depend on Him. They needed that lesson for when they went into the land. That's what He wants them to remember. God was disciplining them, training them, teaching them the lesson of trust. Comments and questions to verse 6. Yes. Um, apart from this, like, applying to, like, clothes or food, like, this can apply to, like, friendships as well. Like, you can be helping someone and you think that it was in your power that they're, like, a better person and they're coming back to church. Like, that is not in your power and that was not you. You're not a good person. and Like, you have nothing to offer. Just, you're the way you are because, like, you read the Bible and you trust God and you pray to God, not because you're a good person. Yeah. Yeah, it's so easy for us to take credit for what God does. That's a, that's a big worry. Sometimes we don't see the Lord and what He does, and so we start thinking we're the ones that did it. And we can't do that, and that's the point He's making right here. On any level, any spiritual level, otherwise, God is the one we trust in, not ourselves. So look at His application, 7 to 14. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountain and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of thins, vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the land, for the good land which he has given to you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes and which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied, satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of Samuel. God is bringing them into this wonderful land. This is almost like an ode to the promised land. It is going to be so good. All these brooks, fountains, springs. I mean... They had one river in Egypt. Now, it was quite a river, but they had one. Here it's everywhere. It's just so blessed for what they had in the wilderness. This is so much better. This is the land of wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, everything. You just dig and you get copper and iron and all of this. It is a richly blessed land. That ought to make them seek God like never before. <laughs> to see how greatly and richly God was blessing them. But he says, remember to give God the thanks and the credit. Beware that you don't forget the Lord 
or you'll eat and you're satisfied and everything's going well and you become proud. That's the danger, the danger of self-confidence. You know, we become less grateful the more we have. We tend to feel self-sufficient. And we forget the giver in the enjoyment of the gifts. You ever done this one? You ever, like, been praying about something really earnestly? Something that's very much a concern to you? And suddenly God grants the blessing you've been requesting. <laughs> well, how does that feel? Isn't it wonderful? Maybe it's something that's really bothering you, something you're really concerned about. Oh, wow! Everything worked out just right. And what do we not do? We were really, you know, very fervent and uh, very constant in our request. But as soon as God gives us the blessing, we forget about God in our enjoyment of the blessing. <coughs> Shouldn't we be just as fervent and constant in the thanks than we were in the request? It's so easy to forget God and to become self-sufficient in our attitude when things go well. We probably have more to worry about, more to fear from prosperity and security and, and plenty than we do from scarcity and need. You think about it. Do you pray more when things are going great or when things aren't going well? I think for most of us, we pray more. We turn to God more when things aren't going well. But Shouldn't it give us even greater motive to pray when God is blessing us more? A lot to really think about. We're not that much different than the Israelites. Thoughts and comments? Yes? There are a lot of scary things today with our society, like our American Christian society, as a, uh, us as a group, if you look at this, what's going on, what Israel keeps doing, and is always done in Yes, it is. <coughs> yes, Mark. These people are very complaining people. So, I understand when they go in the land, they, just like, they think how wonderful everything is, and they find something to complain about. Oh, the olives are safe here. So, when, when we pray, say, for instance, I prayed so hard for a job that I could support my family, my husband, and I was so thankful to get this job and to start and feeling so self sufficient. And I became a complainer. Man, I have to work so many hours. Can I pay for a new car? Blah, 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 blah. And what we were saying about thankfulness, I mean, we should see thankfulness in our blessings even when we start complaining about it a little bit. It is easy for us to be spoiled brats. You know, it's easy for us not to realize what we have. Maybe I should say this. I mean, this is a kind of a new audience for me, and, and sometimes it's helpful to talk about things. You know, in, in May, I was able to go with Kyle, uh, my son, to Mulevala, Mozambique, in the province of Zambezia, in Mozambique. And, uh, wow, I'd never been a place like that. Um, in the whole region, around there. There is no electricity. There is no running water. 
People live in houses that are made of kind of uh, mud bricks with thatched roofs. Um, and really, they don't make money for the most part. They plant and eat what they can plant around their house. They don't have plows. They don't have farm animals. They don't have tractors. You know, they've got some kind of hen tree. They mostly plant corn. They grind the corn into kind of a corn flour that they boil with water. And it makes kind of a, a thick, sort of like a pancake, kind of the consistency of really thick mashed potatoes with the flavor of absolutely nothing. Amen. <laughs> it had no taste. Uh, with, with some fairly crunchy little black specks <laughs> that were the bugs that were in the corn flour that were boiled and ground up, you know, and so forth. And they add a little crunch anyway. <laughs> the brethren, we, we stayed there for 11 days and we taught studies from, you know, about 8.30 in the morning till about 4 in the afternoon. Because they don't do a whole lot at night since there's no electricity. Um, and the people that had come from a number of churches around there, mostly preachers and elders and things like that, they just stayed at, <laughs> around the church building, sleeping on the ground. And uh, they just, you know, lived there. And uh, it's just, it's just, I hope it, I mean, I didn't. The the family we stayed with had three children, nine and under. I never saw them with a play toy. You know, Kyle taught them how to play tic tac toe uh, on the on the in the sand, on the ground, and I taught them rock paper scissors. You know, you don't have to have props for things like that. But I mean, they got They don't have anything. Um, we realized we way overpacked. We didn't really need changes of clothes. There was no way to take a shower or a bath or anything like that. Um, you know, they have outhouses that are just a hole in the ground. That's all there is. Um, there's really nothing there. Um, they seem fine. I mean, you know, I sure wouldn't want to live like that. But they were not overly complaining about that, so they seemed to be getting along fine. I mean, wow. It was difficult to even describe things. They uh, they would notice my watch. I don't know how to set my watch, so I just kept it on America time, which is like six hours later. Well, they'd see my watch. What's that? You know, they'd see the time on it. And, uh, well, it's the time in America. I can tell. I got some puzzled looks sometimes. So one day I had several of them around me, and I, I talked to them about how, you know, the, the Earth sort of spins on its axis, and, you know, that's how with the sun and all that. I could try. Some of them knew it, knew it, I could tell. Some of them, yeah, yeah, they kind of understood that. Some of them, I could tell, that was a new revelation to them. <laughs> they knew nothing about that. You know, many of them have not gone to school. If they, they're like in their late 20s to maybe 40, that was during the war where nobody went to school. And even when they go to school, my impression is that wouldn't be a whole lot. Um, you know, we just blessed. <laughs> you know, can you imagine one of those people coming here? I'd be embarrassed. You know, we waste more everything than they ever have. 
And I'm not saying it's wrong to have stuff. But do you really think we ought to be complaining and feeling sorry for ourselves? And wow, don't we have it rough? Isn't this terrible, all that we're having to go through? And, and you know, you know, would you ever get to a point where you had so much, you'd actually not complain and you'd say, I've really got a lot. You, I don't know. I, I don't think I've seen people having that much yet. I, I'm not sure you'd ever get to that point. Isn't that sad? You know, we, we are the ones who have been so abundantly blessed in every way. We've been blessed spiritually. The worst thing about their poverty is they don't have Bibles. I'll talk more about that maybe tomorrow. But they don't have Bibles. Um, among these preachers and elders, maybe a third, I would say, had New Testaments with the Solomon Prophets. Uh, maybe two or three had a complete Bible, which was a Catholic Bible. It's the only thing in their language. Portuguese is their second language, but the language they read, especially the older people, is in Lomwe. The studies were all in Lomwe, my Portuguese being translated in Lomwe. About a third or, or maybe close to half of them understood my Portuguese, the rest of them got it when it was translated into Lomwe. But, uh, you know, well, it's just, uh, we just have a lot. And it's not, it's not sinful for us to have. We do need to be generous. But it's, isn't it sinful for us not to be grateful? For us not to be appreciative? For us not to honor and recognize God so much for all He's done for us? And isn't it sinful for us just to feel sorry for ourselves and oh, be complaining and so discouraged? You think about the Israelites. I mean, you know their wilderness experiences. You know, they just complained all the time, and it seems so ridiculous. God delivered them from bondage, and now they're complaining. And yet, I don't know what we'd do if we had manna, manna, and manna. Three meals a day, it's manna. As uh, Scott Smelser said, they had manna all sorts of ways. They have manna sandwiches, which was a slice of manna between two manna buns. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with manna? It's what you have. It's all you have. Can you imagine eating one thing? It apparently tasted good. But one thing the whole time. So, we need to learn to be grateful and to, to really see our dependence on God and appreciate Him. Thoughts? It might, it might be worth just saying the importance of the Old Testament in our lives and these lessons that we need to be learning from that. Um, and I think one thing that makes me think that even more is the fact that they obviously didn't get it. I mean, it wasn't any time at all, and they'd broken all of these. Yeah. So maybe it's even more important and significant for us that it was recorded there than it even than even for them. Yes. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. We we very much need all of these things. And, you know, there's no part of God's revelation to us that we ought to uh, neglect. All of it is vital for us. Look at 15 to 20 then. Somebody want to read that? He led you through, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with the fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty grounds where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of the cliff. In the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you, to do good for you in the end. 
otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made this made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, and you may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. Again, led them through the great and terrible wilderness with all the dangers, with the lack of water, and he brought water for them out of the rock, and he fed them with manna. He did all these things, and he's worried about them saying in verse 17, my power and the strength of my hand made me this well. That is the danger. It is God who saved them, who led them, who watered them, who fed them, who gifted them, and there's the danger that they will be proud, self-sufficient, and think they did it themselves. Success can be a lot more tragic for us than failure because it can often cause us to forget God and to feel smug and self-sufficient. That's the danger for them. We're doing this ourselves. How many times do we begin to pat ourselves on the back and feel prideful because of our accomplishments? Look at what I did, even spiritually, as was mentioned earlier. You remember when Paul would come back from a preaching journey? He would recount to the brethren all the wonderful things the Lord had done. And they glorified God. For example, in Acts 21, uh, verses 19 and 20. We need to give God the credit and not steal it for ourselves. And so that, that's the lesson. You know, we've had dangers of forgetting God, danger of being influenced by the nations, and this danger of self-sufficiency, of thinking that we're the ones who are doing this for ourselves. Very relevant dangers for us. Thoughts and comments? <clears throat> yes? You know, you're talking about um, the confidence that we as humans have. And I think uh, there's a balance that's, that's necessary in that. To have no confidence in us, I think, would, um, <coughs> would uh, be neglecting the gifts that God has given to us. And yet to have so much self-confidence that we forget God... That's probably in that matter. Realize where God, um, where the perspective is at, you know, in doing our part and letting God take care of the rest of us. There is certainly a kind of confidence that we need that they didn't have, for example, when they wimped out and wouldn't go into the promised land to conquer it. I think it's mostly a confidence in the Lord, a confidence that God can use us and can make us what he wants us to be and can give us success. So it's not so much a self-confidence as it is a trust in the Lord. He can make us into what he wants us to be. We certainly need that. This is not saying we ought to be insecure, but that our security comes from the Lord and not from ourselves. The danger is we make it self-focused. Seth? God is not tempted, nor does he tempt anyone, but here he tests them. What's the difference between a test and a temptation? I think the difference between a test and a temptation is the um, um, is the goal. You know, God tests us to strengthen us. Satan tests us to defeat us. So they have two different goals in the situation. Out. Um, 
in the wilderness and in the promised land, the Israelites still had to gather the food. They still had to do some work. But at the same time, in both cases, it was the Lord's gift and His blessing that they had food to eat. So even though we may do work to, to eat, you know, like we may plant corn and harvest the corn and cook the corn, but it's still the Lord's gift. He's still gifting us that. Amen. Yes. Another on my note, we uh, look at verse 20. It says, As the nation which the Lord is before you, so you shall perish, because you will not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. We are not in any means, uh, in any state will be or higher or not able to be disordered to be or, or be uh, persecuted or be you know, in any type of uh, bad situation. We're not above that, no matter how we're blessed we are. Everything comes from God's control. Take it away. That is what. Amen. Yeah, um, I think it's helpful that the wilderness is called great and terrible because um, uh, it's not like it's not like it was pleasant. I mean, they ate the same thing every day. They didn't really have a lot of water. Um, it was difficult. And it's not like God said, "Oh, you're supposed to enjoy this." And he said, "Well, this is really hard." But God's like, "Well, it is really, really hard." But I took you from something worse. I'm giving you what you need now, and I'm bringing you to something better. And we are, in, in parallel, we are in the wilderness right now. I think it's, if sometimes if life feels terrible, I think it's because, well, sometimes life is terrible. But that, and God acknowledges that. It's not that he hasn't, but he, we need to remember he's taken us out of something worse. He's giving us what we need now. He's going to take us someplace better. So, like the Israelites, they're in a terrible situation, but they need to be able to endure it because... Well, what I've done for you and what's going to happen. So we are in something terrible, but we need to endure it and be content because of what God's done. And God was teaching and disciplining them even in that terrible wilderness. Yes. Yes. It's interesting how here in chapter 8, they use suffering, being slaves, being beaten, and just enduring all these hard times as a way to keep them away from pride. Um, And... The writer of Hebrews does the very same thing in chapter 10 when he tell, he's asking us to stay away from deliberately sinning and being prideful because we have all these spiritual blessings. And in, in uh, verse 32 he says the same thing that we're talking about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Recall those former days when you were cast out in public, being made fun of, ridiculed, your property was being plundered, but you gladly received those things because the confidence that we have in God, and he explains it is. Do, by doing the will of God, that's where the confidence is placed in. And so, as we think about how we can apply these things, um, that's that's our test. That's how we can challenge our confidence. Is our confidence in doing the will of God, or is it somewhere else? Yeah. Very good. Other thoughts? I, they've got another danger. It's the danger of pride. Somebody want to read chapter nine, verses one to six? <clears throat> 